Welcome to the podcast Against Disease, brought to you by Humanity Against Disease. I'm your host, Cody Weston, and I'm here today with someone I've known for a quite a long time, actually, my Tai Chi instructor, uh, Sifu Dan Jones, who graciously agreed to speak with us about his experiences as a police officer in the context of, of recent events and systematic racism. So... Uh, Sifu, thank you very much for joining us. Um, uh, glad to be here. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about your background and what you're up to these days? In 1978, while I was uh, at the tail end of college, I decided to start working full time. I chose the profession to look into uh, was law enforcement because I had a number of relatives, cousins and uncles who were law enforcement officers in Detroit and D.C., uh, and so forth. So I decided to get into law enforcement. The level I chose was the state police. That's so I went to the state police academy in 1978 and uh, became uh, a trooper. And that's how I started my law enforcement career. I've worked with several uh, departments, starting with the state. And after the state, I went to the city department. Uh, the state was very good, but it wasn't quite what I was looking for, so I decided to work for a city department. Being from Detroit, a big city, I wanted to experience that uh, level of enforcement, law enforcement. And then I, I, I left law enforcement for oh, about eight years. I decided I didn't want to continue with law enforcement, so I left and became a professional bodyguard. So now I was experiencing the, the preventive side. Law enforcement basically is responsive, even though to see a patrol car come by, it is a deterrent. Mm-hmm and having them in the field. But basically, you do respond after the fact. Security is uh, is all prevention. You you want to prevent things from happening. So I was a bodyguard for eight years, and then I went back to working for a state-level law enforcement agency and finished up my law enforcement career there. I also have a background in martial arts. Mm-hmm. I started martial arts in junior high school, growing up in the east side of Detroit. For the first 12 years of learning martial arts. It was all external. Then I started getting into approximately ni- 1980 is when I discovered internal martial arts like Tai Chi and some of the other types of internal martial arts. And then from there, I studied another internal Kung Fu system while I was studying Tai Chi Chuan. And so I started understanding how to apply the, the aspects of Tai Chi, which is moving meditation how to have a calm mind and relaxed body in action and and while you're applying uh, different martial art techniques. Hmm. So uh, when I left law enforcement, I started, uh, actually I had been teaching for probably close to uh, three decades. I was teaching Tai Chi Chuan and and, uh, other types of martial arts. So when I retired, I continued teaching, but I with all the things that were going on with law enforcement, I decided I wanted to develop a program that could help uh, in law enforcement officers. I went back on, I, I did between 10 and 12 years on the actual road as a road officer mm-hmm. when I uh, was, was working for the city department. I was also uh, on the SWAT team as a hostage negotiator. I, I worked at organized crime as well. Mm-hmm. My background had included understanding how to deal with hostile situations where you were dealing with a person's safety and life Hmm. from a perspective of negotiations. Using that and the concepts of uh, internal moving uh, meditation, I applied these when I worked the road as a law enforcement officer, specifically going to domestic situations. And I found it to be extremely effective. I was able to maintain what I like to call an act of calm Mm -hmm. during the domestics. And I was able to uh, use this calm, my whole attitude and being mentally, physically, while the complainants, whoever called me there, Mm -hmm. it could be very volatile and uh, sometimes even, you know, very threatening. But I was able to maintain a sense of active calm during those situations. So all that came from my internal training Mm -hmm. uh, in the internal martial arts. So I developed a program, the acronym is TCMMRT, Tai Chi Moving, Mindfulness, Meditation, and Resilience Training. Mm -hmm. 
to help uh, law enforcement officers deal with uh, the unfortunate situations that have been occurring for probably quite a while, but more recently with uh, some of the things that have been happening with the community and law enforcement has caused a lot of stress and uh, a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. So I've developed this program that I have used and tested for over three decades with a lot of success. And I've used a lot of the principles and techniques in, in my Tai Chi training. In the spirit of full disclosure, this is the same program that uh, you and I are currently working on developing formal research testing into the effectiveness of uh, this TC triple MRT for initially law enforcement and other first responders, but certainly deploying it as a tool for the prevention and management of things like PTSD and, and related anxiety. And it certainly seems to have a lot of potential based on the anecdotal evidence that we've discussed, as well as the other evidence for mindfulness practices in related contexts. So I think this is an exciting skill set to be able to discuss. Sounds like your internal martial arts training was one of your principal tools in allowing you to prevent and manage conflicts. How did this compare to the de-escalation techniques that were being taught at the time and what other officers were using? Is this something that was a brand new idea that seemed to give you a, a whole different approach? Or what, what was the view on, on de-escalation throughout your career? And how did that vary from department to department or job to job? Well, a lot of the de-escalation techniques taught in the academy were obviously based on past experiences from officers and we learn from situations, situational things that would happen. So they would try to do real time examples of it. In, in other words, a uh, role playing, mm-hmm. you know, you have uh, the officer would show up and, you know, they, they would get into a conversation with the complainant that the person had called and tempers would fly, then people would argue and you would do role playing to try and deescalate the situation at the time. Well, that's, you know, my career pretty much was similar from department to department from okay. you know various department went a whole lot of i mean so some of the techniques were more improved upon as far as trying to make them more realistic you would typically have an instructor that was maybe an expert or phd in that field and the academy would have a lot of the instructors who were actual police officers that would do a lot of scenarios that we would have to respond to uh, everything from domestics to patrol techniques and the two most dangerous calls for a law enforcement officer are traffic stops and domestics because mm-hmm. they're very unpredictable. So a lot of the training had to do with a lot of that. And it was it was very good training, especially when you are trying to give you some kind of tool to use when you get out there in the field. But like with most things, the academy gave you the foundation, but you did your real learning once you went out and patrol mm-hmm. because then you are in the moment. The thing about de-escalation techniques, they do help to give you a tool. But what I've learned, when you're in the moment, things happen spontaneously and they happen without warning. Sometimes you have warning, but whether without warning or spontaneous, which happens quite a bit in, in, uh, in law enforcement, they elicit a very extreme and sudden and overwhelming emotional response. Mm-hmm where it it just happens and you have this sudden rush of emotion and studies have shown that emotion clouds the judgment. What that does, once the emotions kick in, you can't access the training or it's very hard to access the training, no matter how thorough, no matter how great the training was, once you get emotional, judgments are clouded and then you have more of a survival or primal response. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a, a natural response for people who, uh, to want to survive the situation. I realized that the training had to be something that kept you calm, which is what I was experiencing with Tai Chi. Without even thinking about uh, research or anything, I just would practice my Tai Chi. I, I've been an instructor for several decades as well. And just through tr- training other people and practicing, I developed a natural foundation of calm. I like to call it active calm, which means you have a calm mind and a relaxed body while dealing with a, an active situation, whether it be something that was physical or verbal or domestic related or traffic stop. You develop this 
this natural foundation of calm. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say you're not going to get emotional. Typically, to some degree, you will. But the more you practice these types of techniques, you can maintain a natural level of calm even when the situation explodes. Mm-hmm. The program, TCMMRT, is based on applied uh, moving mindfulness meditation. Mm-hmm. The thing is now, because of the way things are happening, and, and I think even before uh, a lot of the things like recent events, they realized that officers needed to find a way to deal with these situations and, and maintain some level of control. Mm-hmm. Now we're understanding this term mindfulness, where the breath is, is key, which I absolutely agree with. Being able to uh, do breathing exercises helps you to calm yourself, relax your mind. When the mind is calm, it leads the body to relax. And when the body and mind are calm and relaxed, you can respond to a situation much more effectively with unclouded judgment because you're, it enables you to control your emotions to some degree. Mm-hmm. Typical meditation and typical mindfulness has some very good techniques where you get in a seated posture and and uh, you do visualizations, you do uh, coordinated breathing. Mindfulness meditation in general is mind, body, and breath or breathing exercises combined. Mm-hmm. And they allow you to be able to access that active calm where uh, from a law enforcement perspective or first responders perspective, you have to be able to apply that calm in a functional real-time situation. In order to truly develop this type of, of skill set, it's not just something you do after work or something you do like two or three days a week. It has to be a lifestyle practice. Right at this point, I want to kind of change how you look at law enforcement officers. I think even the name, you know, law enforcement officers or police officers, Mm -hmm. it connotates enforcement going after the bad guys. Yeah. In Ireland, the Gaelic translation for their law enforcement officers is literally guardians of the peace. (laughs) So I I like the term peace officers. Mm -hmm. And now from... From here on in in the conversation, I'm going to use the term peace officers. I think just the name itself, focusing on guarding the peace. On the other side of that is the community, the community peace. So peace officer and community peace. So peace officers for community peace. Yeah. I want to kind of put that out there because that's part of with TC Triple MRT. I want to combine with that movement to try and, and heal you know, the pain between peace officers and the community. Mm-hmm. This type of applied moving mindfulness meditation. Now, when you have typical mindfulness meditation and breathing exercises that are are stationary and uh, people may get in a seated posture, um, even yoga has what they call prana that helps you to calm yourself and and develop um, a a healing force within you. Mm -hmm. I found that stationary training like that, breathing exercises, can be very effective for looking inward, paying attention to uh, calming the mental chatter in your head so that your mind is calm. And when your mind is calm, it can help lead to a relaxed body, and which would help to respond more clearly and effectively when you are dealing with uh, a complainant or, or situation where people are already being hostile or angry. And it helps to to remain a level of calm. Mm. Now, that being said, I found that my own experience applied moving mindfulness meditation was was more transferable in an active, unexpected, volatile, or, or even dangerous situation because you are moving, first of all. So when a police officer goes on a scene, first you get the call, okay? You get the call. And, and certain things go through an officer's mind, their body has a certain reaction. And a lot of times their pull on is what they've experienced previously before they even make the call. Mm-hmm. You already kind of have possibly prejudged the situation before you even get there. I'm saying it happens all the time, but that's something that, that could happen when you hear the call instead of getting the information and just breathing and preparing yourself so that you can receive the call without any 
pre-judgments or, or attitudes about what, what you see. Hmm. So you pull up to the scene, and it's not like taking a snapshot. It's, so it's fluid. So it's taking a video. Mm-hmm. So when you pull up, everything is changing and it's in motion. And when you first see the situation, you see everybody, you know, around, standing around, or whatever's going on, you get an idea of what's going on. So you get out and you go up there, uh, focused on what you what you saw as you pulled up. Now, as you start to engage with the people, if they're hostile and they're volatile, that's going to affect your emotions, even as you go up to them. Mm-hmm. But when you practice and do lifestyle practice and training in applied moving mindfulness meditation, you do breathing protocols, moving breathing protocols throughout the day. Like when you get up in the morning, it starts, you, you teach the officers to do this in the morning when they get up, when they're at home dealing with their family, when they first get to work, even in the room, the roll call room where they're getting their assignments, you have your officers practice breathing. Whenever you are going to the patrol car, you have these breathing protocols, you know, even things that you can do seated in a patrol car. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get the call, you take some deep breaths. As soon as you arrive on the scene, whenever you are not physically uh, actively talking, if you're listening, then you're deep breathing. If you are responding, then you are doing certain types of uh, deep breathing. And then when you are practicing on your own time, say like at the work or before work, then you combine body, mind, and breath. So you combine actual movements coordinated with breathing and coordinated with the mind engaged. Hmm. So you are practicing developing patterns consciously and subconsciously that respond to the situation, not just mentally where you have preconceived notions about what to expect. You actually determine what you think is going on before you have all the facts or whatever the situation is. Everything that we experience through all of our senses are first filtered through our value judgments. The sum total of who you are that you've learned from the time you're in your mother's womb where you can hear your mother's voice to the present time and everything in between. Those are your value judgments. You're going to see it through that instead of totally what it truly is. Mm-hmm. When you can practice these protocols and this moving mindfulness meditation, then not only you are developing a meditation that's fluid because you're moving from, you know, your body is moving and stepping and turning, just like when you go to a call, driving to the car, your environment is constantly changing. As you get out of the car, as you talk to people, everything is fluid in motion just like moving mindfulness meditation. So I have found over decades that that helped me to apply my meditation subconsciously and harmoniously with the situation that I was encountering without thought because we don't have time to think out there. Mm -hmm. And it helped to keep the emotions under control. I think that a lot of the escalations we see come from people falling back on these instincts and not necessarily being able to deploy the higher trainings. So the the idea of using a moving mindfulness meditation makes a lot of sense because certainly a more introspective meditation is going to have this inherent disconnect, as you said, that's maybe got a lot of uses, but it's not something you can deploy when there's somebody who might attack you standing across the room. Exactly. When you want to develop a foundation of active calm, when you're in a, a profession like being a peace officer or a first responder, a fireman, something like that, then it's something that you have to practice and work at and you have to do every day like it's nourishment to your survival. So when you practice body, mind, breath uh, exercises where the body is in motion, changing uh, from one position to the other very slowly and mindfully and coordinating that with breathing, and then you develop a level of active calm that you have all the time. And it's it's like the foundation part of, of you that you know you may not be aware of it. When you out there dealing with the public, you're slow to get irritated. You're you don't feel yourself anger rising inside of you. I mean you can get anybody can get excited. They can get emotional. Mm-hmm. But by doing these exercises you will minimize how emotional you get. But what I found from year, from decades of, of doing this type of practice and, and teaching and using it in some of the most extreme situations as a former law enforcement officer, 
and or as a former peace officer and uh, a former uh, bodyguard, was that when you do this and make it a part of your lifestyle, you develop the ability to become a participant and an observer mm-hmm. in a critical situation. What that means is at this moment, the way I am now, there's nothing that I do that I'm not mentally and physically involved in, but at the same time, I'm observing myself. In other words, I can participate in whatever situation I'm doing. And as a part of me, it's watching me so that I know what, what I'm doing, how I'm responding, kind of gauging how my emotions are. Mm-hmm. And it's not non-judgmental. You're participating at doing the action, but also you're watching yourself, which helps gives you a certain amount of control. Say like if you, if you start to get emotional when something happens, especially for, for a peace officer, as soon as that emotion is experienced by practicing these techniques, you have an already established layer of deep breathing and active calm so that it helps to minimize how emotional you get. That helps to keep you from losing control. Even if you are 95% emotional and 5% observing yourself, it still helps to keep you from going over the edge. It comes from practicing these exercises on a daily basis, not just for developing that calm in the face of critical or dangerous situation, but also for your own sense of well-being and health and how you interact with your family. Also, typically try not to take the job home, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of hard not to do because if you try to keep it from your spouse and your kids, then that's going to cause stress inside. If you tell them too much, that's going to cause stress. So practicing applied moving mindfulness exercises helps you to deal with situations with your kids, with your uh, conflict with the wife, all those types of things help prepare you for dealing with domestics. It's, it's not about keeping it away from a home. It's harmonizing your job with your home. You, you know that amount to tell your, your kids without you know really scaring them or too much, but still you are still sharing and you're harmonizing with them. You're dealing with conflict at home from a relaxed perspective as opposed to losing it, screaming, going home and drinking or just losing control. And then, and you know it's not them, it's the job, but these exercises help with your home life and a good home life helps you to deal with the most critical, one of the most dangerous types of calls you have to make. Definitely sounds like this is a valuable approach going forward. And it sounds like you've taken some steps to start to disseminate these practices into first responder communities, peace officer communities. How has it been received so far when you've uh, pitched these to people working these jobs right now? I'll tell you what, it surprised me in some cases. I've had officers, a number of officers saying that they wish they had had this type of training early on, like right in the academy. You know, understand, I became a certified peace officer back in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And there's probably more racial tension back in those days because of coming off the 60s and everything. So I did experience aspects of of racial tension or equality uh, on and off the job to to a certain degree. Because of my my background and because of this type of training I've been doing for, like I said, over three and a half decades, I was able to handle this information even, you know, whether I was on the job or off the job in a very more calming manner. And that was even then in the, in the early years when I first started training this way. Times have have changed. There's still the, the tendency of, of racism is still apparent. It's, it's not, it's, it's different. It's not as, um, it's kind of a tough thing to, th- to, to talk about because when you're talking about biases and racism, it's not necessarily always about ethnic, you know, yeah. ethically generated by color. So uh, even gender, you know, you have that type of thing too. And in some ways we have come a long ways. And, and I, I think it's not so much that it's gotten, that it's gotten so much worse because when I was a kid, the racism I experienced was very overt, very overt. And then now it's, it's I think the, in, the invention of all of the, cell phones and electronic devices where people are videotaping everything and and challenging officers and you know when they're when they're trying to do a call i think obviously that that can excite the situation when we're talking about this kind of a thing it's 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 not an easy subject to to talk about because i've um, i've been on both ends you know as a law enforcement officer and as a, a former a retired officer so 
being a peace officer is not a job that just anybody can do. It is, it is kind of a calling. The percentage of the officers that make some of the horrific mistakes that have been made recently is very small. As bad as it is, it's... It's, it's not an easy situation to talk about. Yeah, and I can respect that the position that you're in must be extraordinarily complex because, like you said, you're on both sides of it, and that has got to be really a lot to mill through. I mean, even seeing it as an outsider, this is a very complex situation that has not necessarily one clear solution. It seems that progress has maybe stagnated even in terms of these uh, community relations and the way, I guess the way the police interact with uh, especially communities of color. I appreciate us trying to have the conversation knowing full well that we won't come out with the be all end all answer. I know that we've discussed that the relationship between individual peace officers and community members is something that it does sound like introducing mindfulness practices and making calm and de-escalation and an emphasis on prevention rather than reaction could be a big step in the right direction. I see a good portion of the answer is healing from the inside out. Okay. Typically, when something happens where somebody, a life has been taken, whether it's with the community or a, lo- a peace officer, everything gets very emotional. And a lot of the, uh, as far as what to do about it, the choices are very external and is geared by emotion. Mm-hmm. I think peace officers need to develop more from an inward perspective to help view the public interact with the public and respond to the public from a more uh, non-judgmental perspective. You have a job to do, but you want to do it with not so much of an attachment to emotions. Being able to uh, get emotional, but also you realize that's happening, but these techniques will help you to have a level of emotion and still have a level of active calm Mm -hmm. so that you'll be able to see things unclouded and have a better, more accurate judgment so that you can make the correct decisions. You can do everything right and something can go wrong. Mm -hmm. When you are outwardly expressing yourself from a peace officer's perspective as opposed to enforcement perspective, yes, enforcement, you you have to deal with the situation, but it's how you deal with the situation. If you come from the inside out and can do it from a calm, level-headed, non-judgmental perspective where you are trying to maintain the peace. Officers have to have more focus on that particular aspect and how you do that. The breathing helps to activate that active calm and that comes projected in your posture and your whole presence. When I would get a domestic call, I do these things all the time, the breathing and, and the practices after work, before work, and during work. When I would come to the door, my whole, as soon as I opened the door, people are nervous about peace officers because you're the uniform, mm-hmm. your presence, it's unnerving. So when you come in very respectful to somebody's home, take off your hat and introduce yourself, I'm officer so-and-so, and we got a call, can I come in please? And your whole presence is that of a calm, caring person that wants to help mm-hmm. and wants to solve this thing hopefully peacefully. That's not just words. That's your whole presence as you get there. And then while you're there, when you listen to them, your breathing protocols have taught you to do a certain type of deep breathing while you're listening to them. And then when you talk, you can talk to them from a calm, centered uh, perspective that they can connect with. How you stand, the tone of your voice, instead of an intense gaze, you can have a relaxed forward gaze that you have when you do Tai Chi, you either have a downward gaze or a relaxed forward gaze. If they see a relaxed gaze in your eyes, your posture isn't combative. You're holding your hands in a peaceful way, peaceful but protective. Yeah. When you want an officer to be effective, they they want to protect the public but also protect themselves. They want to come home as well. This program, TCMMRT, teaches what I call Tai Chi gross motor movements and patterns. Mm-hmm. Uh, during a stressful situation, when fight or flight kicks in, we all know that uh, you can only do gross motor skills. All kind of physiological changes occur uh, in your body, heart rate, breathing, tunnel vision. 
but also you are capable of fine motor skills. So gross motor skills from a combative perspective means, you know, grabbing, punching, kicking. That's all you can pretty much do. Mm-hmm. So the movements are designed for an officer's peaceful presence, but also imprinting patterns that are t- taken from Tai Chi movements. Tai Chi is a martial art, but it's, it's in West, we, we primarily use it for med- movie meditation. So the movements are designed to redirect energy away from you, where the hands will come up in a way that they're non-threatening and in a way to try and relax the person. You're calming the mind to relax the body. The body relaxes so they can have more accurate and non-threatening gestures in even the way you stand. And then the patterns that are combined with the breathing are designed to be non-threatening, but they're in position for the officer's protection. The critical life circle, which is the touching distance between them and the person they're talking to. While you're standing there in this peaceful position, you're in a Tai Chi. You teach them to stand in a Tai Chi stance. It's relaxed, but it allows them to move freely and easily in any direction at a moment's notice. And it helps to develop this this inward energy that keeps the officer prepared, but also healthy. It's bringing all these types of elements to help be, be applied to the type of situations that peace officers get themselves into. And with this type of training, you feel good. When you feel relaxed and calm, that reduces fear. If you're calm and relaxed, anger can't penetrate. Fear can't penetrate. So by practicing these things on a regular basis, the body naturally will do what it's been trained to do in the critical situation when there's no time for thought. So by making these a part of your everyday training and protocol, I eventually like to see it get into academies. By doing it in the actual training right from the beginning, Mm. then you develop a protocol of a body awareness of this protective, peaceful, engaging presence. See, so that's that's why applied moving mindfulness meditation of the TCMMM, it embraces all these. I can't stand up about it. Mm -hmm. I think that it's moving in absolutely the right direction. And it certainly seems that the people in challenging situations succumbing to fear and anger really drives a lot of these these problems, being able to develop a resilience against that long before the inflection point where life or death decisions are being made. Absolutely. I, I learned a long time ago that how you perceive and respond to life basically comes down to two perspectives, love and fear. And fear, you have distrust, anger, uh, deception, suspicion, uh, you know, just a whole, you can go a whole list of things on, under the fear category, fear itself. And then in in love, you have peace, patience, consideration, love. There's so many. If you take those two topics and you make a list, it will be an extremely long list. When an officer is getting ready to go out, they run to the danger. Mm -hmm. First responders are the only profession that you run to the danger, not away from it. When you go out there, especially the way people are viewing peace officers now and all the distrust and, and hurt and anger and everything that's that's separating and hurting the relationship between the community and the peace officer, they go out with extreme caution, a caution from a negative perspective. They are going out right from the beginning from a perspective of fear. Right? When you practice moving mindful meditation on a daily basis, it, it becomes part of your daily protocol. The, the answer isn't going to just a workshop, doing it every now and then. You have to make it a lifestyle protocol because that's that's what it is. Mm-hmm. When you come from that perspective, you start the job feeling good. You're calm, you're relaxed, and your mind is more open and not judgmental. So that's going out from that love perspective where you can see things differently. If you go out anywhere in the category of fear, that's going to have a different effect as you go out. I mean, the first car you see, you want to go out and write tickets. A lot of officers look for trouble. They think their job is to look for trouble as opposed to being guardians of the peace. So you come from that peace perspective. I I, I think, obviously, you may not be able to change the term law enforcement for the agency, but I think officers should be known as peace officers, urging and and nurturing this uh, concept of coming from peace. Things, the kind of things I'm talking about as far as these programs, training officers in these types of 
of movements and patterns, it's, I've seen it for so many years, how it responds in, in these critical situations. And it doesn't matter what this critical situation is, if it gets critical or even if it's just, just an argument all the way up to somebody trying to use deadly force, you still have this certain amount of calm and you, you still use the concept of being a participant and an observer. You'll notice that not just as being a police officer, in every aspect of my life, I'm a participant and observer now. Mm-hmm. I can't do anything without one part of me being in the, uh, in the interactive moment and the other part watching what I'm doing. And that's a crucial thing that we need in the profession of law enforcement or peace officers. And I ain't saying that it can, can solve everything, but I'll tell you what, when you can have a tool that can help a peace officer work daily in this fashion. It's going to have accurate decisions that the officer makes. It's going to change uh, people's minds. It's going to allow them to uh, respond effectively. It's going to decrease all of the health types of things that are happening with officers that are ruining their health, Uh, PTSD, heart problems, all stress, all kinds of things. You know, the immune system is, is affected. Uh, it's, it's going to decrease so many things. It's got, when an officer is more he- a healthy officer, mind and body and spirit, emotions as well, uh, is going to be a more effective officer. If he's not healthy, he's more prone to anger, to uh, getting volatile without warning. Uh, his judgment is affected out there on the streets and that uh, knee-jerk reaction to respond with more force than necessary. This type of training will help to minimize that. The proper training, you can feel it almost immediately. I mean, the same day you start doing it, you can feel it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can speak to that from personal experience. The The yield of some of these mindfulness techniques it does hit right away. I've been doing Tai Chi since I was a teenager, and I remember that uh, no matter how terrible I felt when I walked in class after an hour and a half, two hours of this practice, I never walked away with the same kind of negative uh, attitude. And it was a, an incredibly powerful thing for something that doesn't involve any uh, drugs or any esoteric concepts. It really is breathing and movements. You apply these techniques in life because being a peace officer is a life profession. I mean, you're dealing with the lives of the community. And that means everything that goes on in the community, mm-hmm. whether it's good, bad, and different, whether it's peaceful or dangerous, they have to go to that particular situation and deal with it. All you focus on your your talents as a peace officer, just when you come to work, then that's not balanced. Hmm. It sounds like this is a major paradigm shift to try and view things in this fashion. Do you think that the culture of law enforcement or, or peace officers is going to be resistant to these kinds of ideas? It sounds like so far in... in specific cases, you've had a lot of success. I guess I just wonder about any barriers to like widespread adoption of something like this. Well, I'll tell you what, the times are drastically changing. I've been doing some research as other areas and departments who have been adopted these types of concepts. It's kind of started on the West Coast, California, Oregon, areas near San Francisco and Berkeley and all that. Some of the departments out there has adopted mindfulness. Some of them, I've heard of some of them doing uh, some seated chair yoga techniques for the breathing. Uh, some of them, there's a, there's a, I think it's Pacific University, I believe, in California. They have a program. I think it's, it's the acronym is four letters, but it has to do with uh, mindfulness training for uh, law enforcement officers. Mm-hmm. And um, they put them through an eight-week program. <clears throat> and I believe they have things like uh, the escalation techniques. I think they listed martial arts and breathing techniques and some other things where they have been showing some positive results. They understand they're dealing with officers, so you know, they want to make it more, more law enforcement based. I've seen where places like Chicago and New York City and major departments are starting to do certain things to help embrace the concept of mindfulness. This one chief that was hired in the department out west, and she really adopted this approach because of what it did for her. The officers were resistant, but what happens is they present it to the whole department, and there will always be certain officers that will want to try it. Now, some departments 
are trying to make policies on incorporating this type of training. So it still has a ways to go, but a lot, over a few years ago, I've seen the concept get more and more accepted. There's a police department, I think it's in Ontario, Canada. The Tai Chi is one of the things they teach their officers and various other types of mindfulness techniques. They understand that just traditional training is not enough. And the main thing there is no matter what other training you have, you have to be able to access the training. And when you get emotional or fear or emotion overwhelms you, you can't access the training. Hmm. You become on automatic pilot survival, primal. So this is becoming more and more, and they're doing more studies on it, uh, headed in the direction of making this a part of uh, peace officers Spring and all through the years, as I've been developing and, and teaching and uh, researching some of these things, uh, these things work well under controlled conditions. They still pull the officers, and and they showed a, a higher level of being able to maintain calmness, of being able to sleep better, less stress. You know, they you're getting these types of of, of, of results in, in some of the research. But one of the things that I was seeing is still how can you apply, officer apply this while they're in the field. And that's what prompted me to come up with TC Triple MRT. Have you noticed a, a change over your career in the expectations placed on police officers? Because I've been reading in the news that one of the things that's gone on in this country is that lots of other social programs get cut and then police are asked to step in in more and more roles. Is that something you've experienced? You know, absolutely. That's, that's, that's a phenomenon that is still puzzles officers and puzzles me. First responders are always the first to get cut in budgets when things change or get bad or, or the economy or what have you. That doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. Because it affects the morale, it affects the training, it affects the, how they're equipped, it lessens the manpower because people have to get laid off. Even with the unrest and the, the damaged view that the community has of peace officers, you can't do without them. It would just be pandemonium if you didn't have somebody you could call when something went wrong. Mm -hmm. I wanted to bring up a couple of other things, but I, I really appreciate your input on this. And it's been an interesting discussion. I know a lot of these things are topics that you and I are familiar with, but I'm eager to see what a larger audience thinks of trying to implement these kinds of changes. Related to this idea of the role of the peace officer in the community, I know there's been these calls right now for defunding the police, which it certainly sounds at face value like a pretty drastic move. Do you think that if police were focused on peace promotion, that there might be room to operate with less of the military scale equipment, these kinds of things. More generally, what are your thoughts on the funding for police related to their peace promotion versus law enforcement roles? Well, first of all, I don't, I don't know. I can't speak to why or what the powers that be that want to do this, but I don't see it doesn't make sense to defund the police department and, and tie, tie their hands even more. They just, I just, I just like a, a, a punishing police as a whole for a, a horrible mistake that uh, maybe, you know, one officer or very, very small percentage of officers have been involved in. Mm -hmm. I really, that just doesn't make sense to me. It just, to me, it sounds like something to, try to appease the community in some kind of a way that, that's personal okay see i mean there'd be other reasons that i'm not aware of yeah now that being said that more expensive equipment some of the large cities have with, with huge populations they have a much larger budget and they have to have certain equipment to deal with the types of problems that are in their community mm -hmm. you know uh, gang gang situations uh, uh homegrown terrorists whatever they need to be on a semi-level playing field to to deal with what's going on mm -hmm. so i don't see the logic behind defunding something and taking away the tools that they need to effectively do their job based on the community that they're living in. i mean and i'm looking at that not just from being a 
former police officer, but also from a civilian perspective. Mm -hmm. Now, it just it doesn't make sense and to me. It doesn't make sense. Like I say, I can't. Yeah, I can't speak to the, anybody's justification. Yeah, I mean, neither of us are politicians or uh, departmental budget experts. So I was just exactly more getting uh, getting your take. Uh, this next question, I've, I'm really fascinated about, especially during the big thrust in in civil rights in the '60s. How has uh, has growing up as a an African American affected your perspective on justice versus legality? I know that people like Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks and Malcolm X and other civil rights leaders broke the law and really had to break the law in order to get their point across. Some did it in ways that were nonviolent. Some did it in ways that were not nonviolent. Has that shaped how you see the law's role in society? Has that shaped how you practiced as a law enforcement officer? Just any thoughts you might have on that? Well, I'll tell you. I grew up in, I grew up in the 60s. When I was four, we left Detroit. We moved out west for about six years. Okay. I lived in a, in, in a housing community. Uh, like raising tensions were, were obviously in the 60s, you know, quite high. I got in a situation where I had to defend myself against this this neighbor who was, was my age, and, and he was white. He came at me with a baseball bat for no reason. Well, I defended myself, and um, then his older sister, who was probably four, three or four years older than me, came out and struck me. I struck her back. She was, like I say, I was in elementary, and she had to be at least well into junior high well the next day in school i was called to the principal's office two detectives were in the principal's office now i'm in elementary school and they questioned me about striking this girl wow. and my mother wasn't there she was never called and i explained to them how this kid that was i thought was my friend my age came at me with a baseball bat i managed to get the bat from him and i you know i defended myself and then she came out and, and struck me across the face, and I struck her back. Mm -hmm. And that's all there was to it. They took notes, and he told me to go back to class. But just to show how it was back then, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm in school, and they don't even call my parents, and two detectives come to school about me striking this girl because she was white. Wow. So I come from that through certain racial tensions and other areas and stuff. But the way I chose to deal with it was to not allow the racial thing stop me or affect me. I knew everybody wasn't racist. Uh, everybody wasn't bad. Everybody wasn't good. My parents taught me to be self-sufficient, have a strong uh, sense of self. They taught myself and my siblings to be responsible, respective of other people, uh, to be polite to be gentlemen, I was raised to be a good person, even during a time of extreme racism. Hmm. So that's the way I carried myself on the job. I didn't care if you were black or white. I mean, when I first started as a, an officer in the late 70s, and there, we would go to a situation, I won't say which department, but hmm. we would go to situations where we were, maybe it was an all black place or a, a bar or something. And a big fight broke out, and we have to we would have to arrest people. The people of of, of color would get mad at me because I was black. Mm -hmm. It had nothing to do with what they had just done. You know, this person is laying there with a beer mug that they sent to the hospital, or somebody got cut, whatever. They felt that just because of being black, then I was wrong. I've even had them try to attack me because I was the only black officer. Wow. So. And then you have the situation where, because I was a black officer, they try not to give you the same respect as the white officer. This was back, like I said, the late when I first started, late seventies and in some of the early eighties. But see, I was involved in things like martial arts, things that gave me discipline. I had practiced things for my health. I started getting into the the internal martial arts and stuff, and all these things helped me to do my job without being affected by those types of things. And, and you're not just a slave to your background because you can choose to learn other things to pull you up from that. Yeah. And 
being an officer, you, you can't afford to have prejudices and dislikes and things like that. You're human. You may have them, but you have to be able to rise above them on the job. Uh, I've studied so many different types of arts, even some of the Japanese arts. That there's a system called kenjutsu, which is you know like the samurai and stuff, and they they use a, what they call a koto bushido, and it's a kotobana. Even before I knew about that, my mother and father instilled those types of things into me, different wording, and then. Some of the arts I was studying, you talk about honor and, and duty and those kinds of things. So I believe that type of training where you are doing something that's developing you from the inside out, that's healthy for your mind, your body, your emotions, your whole being as a person. I believe that all people who are in a position where they're dealing with the community and they're trying to do the best job they can without treating people different because of their race and stuff, they need to do these types of training. I believe that we just didn't know back in the day. They thought that all you needed to, to, to be a good officer was all the training from the academy. Then you get your real learning from experiences on the road. But that didn't necessarily do something about a person's likes and dislikes and you know racist attitudes. But early on in the late 70s, one of the first departments I was at, I did run into that. But again, that stuff never changed who I was because of my core. Connecting with the breath. The breath is life and it connects us all. And that helps to connect with the mind. And then the mind leads the body. And then doing it in an applied way where it's uh, conducive to first responders, a law law enforcement or being a peace officer. It's something that applies to them as a person and how they do the job, which reflects on how they deal with the community and how the community sees them. You know, like I said, the very small, very, very small percentage of the officers have made, you know, compared to how many there are officers in our country, the percentage is very small of ones that have made these types of uh, really bad mistakes. But all the officers as a whole have to pay for it. So they they go in and start their day sometimes with an attitude or at a detriment because of how the public is looking at them. Not only does this going back to the core help you access the morality, the, the better parts of who you are so that you can apply that when you're on the road. It enhances your health, which also makes you have a good outlook on life and be a kind or patient or a peaceful person so you can do your job that way. But it also shows the public the kind of person you are. Hmm. And I think that's one of the things going to bridge and help heal the rift between a peace officer and the community. I think this idea of trying to begin with the internal culture is, it's an idea that's not out there so much, especially in this discussion. So I'll be interested to see how people react. Would you care to share your uh, website with our listeners in case they want to follow up after hearing this? Yes, uh, my website is movingstillnesshealingarts.com. It's all one word, Moving Stillness Healing arts.com okay and we'll put a link to that up with the show and on our uh, facebook page as well 